Good morning. My name is Mitch. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's my uh, privilege opportunity to provide the message for you this morning uh, in this week of Advent. We're talking about uh, worry and peace. And uh, what do you worry about? I mean, what, yeah, what do you really worry about? Like, like, is it relationships, finances, health, safety, family, kids? Thank you, thank you, thank you. I tend not to be a big worrier, but I do have a propensity to worry about my kids. I've gotten a lot better, but when my oldest was a baby, when I was the first one as a new parent, um, I would get this, I would get gripped with this, with these irrational, irrational fears and that ensuing worry that would, that would take control of my mind. Uh, the difference between that fear and then that worry is, well, the worry is always based upon something in our imagination or our memory and the worry is kind of the fear that we've manufactured. And, you know, uh, I had, I was, I was a new dad, and I had this little baby, and um, I was young, I was, I was, you know, I was 25, you guys were saying, well, you're not much older than that, Mitch. I was like, I know, <laughs> thanks for noticing, um, it's mighty kind of you, uh, but I would get gripped with this irrational, these irrational fears, you know, you have the normal fears, but when I drop him off at, uh, at daycare, we had, I'd, I'd drive him, I'd take him, I, he'd ride with me. We'd be on the interstate for 30 miles and, you know, through traffic and bobbing and we, no, no worries at all like with that. You know, but then I'd, get, I'd, get, I'd drop him off at the daycare. Daycare, Jen, sweetest lady ever. She was the best daycare person you could ever ask for. She was like the perfect mother slash grandmother slash daycare provider. She, she didn't use a thermometer. She'd kiss their forehead. And then give you like a digital readout of what their temperature was <laughs> in Celsius. And it was amazing. So she was, she was the best. Um, so that wasn't the stress or the worry. The irrational fear would grip me as I would go to leave. And I'd get back in the, get back in my truck to leave. And I would almost like have trouble starting the truck. And I have trouble driving off like three miles of suburban driving at no more than 35 miles an hour, right? To like my place of employment. And I would just be gripped with these irrational concepts of like horrible things that could happen that would prevent me from making it back there at the end of my day and it was like debilitating and I haven't said that out loud very often well not to anybody other than my wife um, but that's the kind of worry that we get into and that's what I want to talk about this morning it's debilitating not not the fleeting thought of like, did I switch the laundry before I left the house from the washer to the dryer? Because if it's towels, they might stink and you never get that out again if you don't. And then unless they're white and then you could bleach them, but then they smell like bleach. Not that, but more of this fretting, right? This fretting, um, which is a word we use. You, you fret, right? Somebody's fretted here, right? You know that phrase? Fret. It actually means to eat. The term fret means eat. Moths fretted the clothing. A river frets away at the banks. And emotionally, when we use it, it eats away at something. Fretting of the heart and mind. So that's what we're talking about this morning. The kind of worry that consumes us and how Jesus came to offer us an alternative 
He came to offer us peace. Peace. In this Advent series, Gift Exchange, we're giving over to God our troubles. And in return, receiving gifts that he has promised. We've talked about trading our fear for hope, our guilt for love. Last week, we talked about sharing our grief with God and sharing in his joy. And today, I hope we can discover together uh, is that we really can exchange our worry for peace. 500 years ago, Michelle de Montaigne said, My life has been filled with terrible misfortune, most of which never happened. Can we get an amen for Michelle? Uh, this is a recent study that looked into uh, how many of our imagined calamities never materialized. In the study, subjects were asked to write down uh, the, the worries, the horrible things that they think of that are going to happen over an extended period of time, and then identify which of their imagined calamities and misfortunes did not actually happen. Lo and behold, it turns out 85% of what subjects worried about never happened, and the 15% that did happen this is getting into statistics. 79% of those said um, that it either was not as bad as they thought, they could handle it better than they thought they would be able to, or the difficulty taught them a lesson that was valuable and worth learning. Mathematically, all added up in a way I can't calculate results in this conclusion to the study. 97% of what you worry over is not much more than a fearful mind punishing you with exaggerations and misperceptions. 97%. And we worry and worry and worry. But Jesus tries to break us out of our worry cycle with truth. Matthew records Jesus asking his disciples this question, and it's important that it's a question. Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Such a powerful phrase because it's a phrase that's a question. Because it's a question, you're forced to stop what you're doing and think about it, if only for a minute would have been way less powerful if Jesus would have said, don't worry. We would have skipped right over and gone to the next line. But the question mark makes us pause to ponder. And you have to pause to break the cycle of worry. If we could get a handle on the worry that habitually and incessantly and often unconsciously seizes hold of our mind, we would become closer to experiencing the peace God wants for our lives. Now, I want to be very clear that I'm not brushing aside clinical anxiety. Short of a professional diagnosis, I'm confident that I've had some acute experiences with it and its manifesta manifestations are very real symptoms. If you're suffering from this debilitating anxiety, I encourage you to seek professional help, but, but also bring God along with you. He wants to be in your anxiety. He wants to be brought in 
with you, but you need to let him in. Don't think you have it covered on your own. Paul tells us, letter to the Philippians, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Jesus Christ. Paul's saying, when the fear shows up, don't let it be God. Let God be God. The psalmist wrote Psalm 46 about God. Be still and know that I am God. Be still. Have peace. But this worry doesn't just go back 500 years to our friend Michelle. It goes back as long as there have been humans. It has always been a part of the human experience. And it is woven through the Christmas story where real people are confronted with frightening realities and opportunities to respond faithfully or to be overcome with worry. Mary was worried. Joseph was worried. Old Herod got worried. Now it's time for our shepherds to be brought along, to be brought into the story. Luke 2, 8 to 14. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angels, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. These shepherds have been given a great responsibility. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. He is the Messiah, the Lord. They've been tasked with a job. And the first instruction they received was, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I originally thought that the angel of the Lord wanted them to not be frightened by his appearance and just in that moment, don't be afraid. But the more I think about it, the more I think it goes beyond that. They are to remain fearless in the job they are called to do. Their mission. See, they're shepherds. And this is important in the Jewish tradition that they are in. This Jewish tradition and history of these Israelite peoples. Leaders had been selected by God himself or anointed by prophets of God. God spoke to Noah. He spoke to Abraham. God spoke to, spoke to Jacob and spoke to Moses, brought the law to Moses. King Saul, the first king of the Israelite people, was anointed by the prophet Samuel. And so was his successor, King David. All these men, they were leaders, 
They were rescuers. They were warriors. But with Moses came the law. And the law provided stability and structure and accountability. The law provided a means for atonement for sin through sacrifice. This system had three basic parts. Giving. The sacrifice had to cost something. Had to cost something. The person who had done the offense had to bring a sacrifice that was appealing. It had to cost them personally. And often, this was in the form of a domesticated animal. It was a symbolic way of conveying the second part, a substitution. So this was the idea that this sacrifice was a substitute for the person making the offering, the person who made the offense. And the things that were done to the offering are things that should have been done to the person offering it. The offering, in some sense, was punished in place of the offerer. And then the third part of this was kind of the combination of those first two, the giving and the substitution. It was this process of through these, you were drawn closer to God. Through the substitution and the offering, the giving of the sacrifice, you were drawn closer to God. And this was real life. This was the very important, very real ritual world that Jesus was being born into. The same ritual world that our fearful shepherds are a key part of. They're raising the stock of which the sacrifices are selected. The shepherds have their job to identify the most perfect, the most spotless lambs for the sacrifice. It is what they do. They live in a world where prophets anoint kings and rulers and warriors. It's what prophets did. But shepherds, shepherds were with the flock. They identified the most purest sacrifices. And now these shepherds in this moment, at this time, have just been trusted and tasked with identifying and proclaiming the birth of the most pleasing, most pure, most spotless of all time. Biblical scholar William Barclay said it this way, that it is a lovely thought, he's British, I think, it is a lovely thought that the shepherds who looked after the temple lambs were the first to see the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You better believe they were afraid. I can only imagine the worry and self-doubt that could come flooding in at that moment. They were just given a job to do. They were just given a big job to do. But what about the job they were already doing? They were already looking over lambs. They were already looking over a flock and selecting the sheep. Well, let's keep reading and see what they did next. When the angel had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph 
and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the words concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they said as they, said they had been told. God's promise of peace is a specific and personal and individual one. The faithfulness of the shepherds was lived out in their obedience. They left the field in search of a Messiah, the Messiah, the Lord. Without worry or fret or fear, they left behind the sheep to find the promised Savior. And they found Jesus. The very same Jesus that John the Baptist would later point to and exclaim, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The very same Jesus that encourages his disciples after explaining his sacrificial nature, after he explains it to them later on, he says, I have told you these things that you may have peace. So you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Today I want you to know that you're not alone in this world. You're not alone in your troubles. You're not alone in the manufactured soul-gripping anxiety in your mind. You're not alone. God sent his son to be with you and to be with me, to be with us, a pleasing and holy sacrifice to God that has taken on our punishment to give us the opportunity to be drawn closer to God. 